Welcome to Storytime with the Intimacy Ally. Each episode will tear down a myth, kick a social norm in the beanbag, gut punch a sex ed untruth, or destroy a poorly constructed relationship expectation. Get ready to unlearn all the crap you accepted as fact. Strap in for a mind-blowing revision on what sex is and what it can do. Prepare yourself for a whole new thought pattern when it comes to modern relationships. And now, here's your host, Jenny Simus, the Intimacy Ally, relationship expert and certified sex and intimacy coach. Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to Storytime with the Intimacy Ally. I am Jenny Simus here again with you. And I have a special guest today, uh, not just a colleague, but somebody who I go around calling my mentor, whether or not she likes it. Um, And uh, her name is Michelle Renee. I actually met her because I took the Cuddleist training and she was a professional cuddleist that I met through them. So I would like her to introduce herself and we're going to roll from there. So Michelle, take it away. Yay. Uh, my name is Michelle Renee. I use she, her pronouns, and I am an intimacy guide that works the full spectrum from platonic to erotic, from nurturing, cuddling, and safe touch that way through surrogate partner therapy which we probably have to do like a little primer in a second about what that is. Um, But basically I work in emotional and physical intimacy um, in the full spectrum of the human experience. And I'm based in San Diego, California, but Jenny and I met back when I was living on the East coast and I was even able to pawn some of my moving stuff off on her before I left town. It's true. It's true. So we've met in real life. It's not just a, a virtual connection, and I'm totally down with you calling me a mentor. Yay! Um, and um, I'm also the director of training at Cuddleist now, which was not the case when we first met. Um, and we can't forget that I am the founder of Soft Cock Week, which is a week of education, appreciation, and normalization of the flaccid phallus. And right. So exactly. Yeah, that's why you're cover- here. I think we're going to cover while a you're bit here. Of all of oh, that. Yeah. yeah. We're going to hit some stuff today, but yeah. yay that you don't mind me calling you my mentor. Not um, at all. Thank you also for normalizing pronouns. I love that. Um, and we're going to normalize some other shit today. So let's dig in. First of all, I love on your website, um, which is humanconnectioncoach.com. I have two. I have humanconnectioncoach.com and I also mm-hmm. have meetmichellerenee.com, which is kind of my umbrella site where like I keep I keep two of them. One's like the more like clinical how to work with me um, site, which is the human connection coach. But the other one is kind of like where you find my media stuff and, you know, those right. kinds of like the umbrella of all the different kinds of work that I do and Whatnot, right. And you're so. also podcasting now too. Yes. The podcast is there. Um, okay. I have a blog there that I use once in a while. Um, yeah. It's just like, it's the collection. It's spot. your catch all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But yeah. I love on your, on your one site that uh, you're describing yourself as the girl next door with a big heart, because that is how I see you. Um, and I think that is one of the wonderful ways that you interact with people, just very like real and present and ready 
you know, yeah. to accept or give um, in such a meaningful way. So I want to talk to you and find out a little bit more about how you got here. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your life before you found, you know, what entered you into this work? And yeah. then, like, what was the crossover like for you? I think of what I've really thought about what my origin point was. Like, what is that one little nugget that changed everything? Mm-hmm. And um, I was married for 18 years. It wasn't a great marriage. It started when I, I met my would-be husband when I was 17. So we could... We could talk about like, can you come out of a high school relationship in a healthy marriage or relationship? I don't know if you can, Um, but um, for lots of reasons, um, we stayed together well past the expiration date. And um, I actually at the time thought we were in a really pretty okay relationship, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So in in hindsight, it wasn't great. But in the Mm -hmm. course of that 18 years, we had actually gotten to a pretty good place. I, I don't right. I don't want to say it was healthy, but for us, it was like a very um, neutral space. And we decided to open our relationship. And mm-hmm. um, there was a, a woman in our life that she had orgasms really easily. Ooh. And I didn't. I, okay. I had orgasms, but they were a struggle to the point that it made me not a big yes to sex because it was a lot of work. I was still participating mm-hmm. in sex reluctantly, you know, coercively, um, yes. all of that, doing my duty, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I was not prioritizing my pleasure because it was too fucking hard, right? It was just- And did you know that was a thing that you could do at that point? No, I didn't understand right. that the fact that I was putting my body through something that I wasn't actually really an enthusiastic yes about was actually killing that that ability like it was right. making it even harder i was not making life better for myself um mm-hmm. but but this woman really inspired me to want to figure out how to orgasm easier like mm-hmm. she was that little kernel of i want to be like that why can't i be i want to be multi orgasmic <laughs> let alone right? like have right re- like consistent orgasms i want to be able to have multiple orgasms and and have right them be explosive that- and delicious and last for minutes at a time, right? Yeah, and I could have done this years <laughs> earlier, but I didn't. I didn't know, right? And right. at that time, um, I came across Betty Dotson. Mm. I started to listen to everything she said. I listened to every podcast she was on. I read everything, and um, and my marriage ended like literally the same month, maybe two weeks after I saw Betty Dodson's name in an article, Mm -hmm. um, my ex now ex-husband asked for a divorce and, and I was, it was like a devil, devil angel situation where there was a part of me that was devastated. I was felt so betrayed. And I always thought if nothing else, this man was never leaving me good, bad, or ugly. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. get rid of him. I asked to, for divorce so many times in that marriage, but because I didn't have a stay at home mom, it didn't have a, a, a way out. Right. And he didn't want to let me go. I couldn't, I really couldn't leave. At least that's how right. I saw it. I was not able to rescue myself. I was waiting for somebody, you know, white knight to show up and Right. me away. And that was, that's the God honest truth. I did not see a way to rescue myself in that situation. And I feel like you are not alone. No, I feel like no. so many people are stuck there. 
It made so much sense to me at the time. And I look back at it now and I had to do a lot of therapy to let go of the shame around that because Mm -hmm. I look at myself now and it's just a completely different person. So, so he ends things. I'm part of me is like, this is your chance, babe. Like you've wanted Mm -hmm. out of this relationship since pretty much right after we got married, but, and I ended up pregnant and like, there's a whole story there and you can, I have a podcast now. You can probably listen to some of that story in, in right. that podcast. Intimacy um, lab, correct? Yes. The intimacy lab. Yes. Um, <laughs> but so I found Betty. So, so Betty Dotson is this badass at the time, 85 year old woman who was teaching mm. masturbation classes in her Manhattan apartment. And she has this amazing memoir. If you ever want to be sexually empowered and you need a little booster, read Betty's me- memoir. And I was, so I was reading Betty's memoir. I was going through everything that she had available publicly. I signed up for the, the workshop, um, that and that's body sex, right? Body sex. Yep. Right. Um, I, I say Betty walked me out of my divorce, even Oof. though I hadn't met her yet. I didn't meet her until about six months later. I'm and so like, like, I'm so like jealous that you got to meet her. And like my journey, you know, was years later, she had already passed. Yeah, no, it was... Ugh, but I am like, so impressed and also jealous that you got to meet her and work with her. It's like rock star moment, right? <sighs> by the time I met her that November, it was November 2014. I knew I wanted to do hands on sex ed. I, I was coming out of this divorce as a stay at home mom with a background in accounting. And I knew I didn't want to, I couldn't see myself working in an office. Like mm-hmm. it just made my skin crawl. And I felt really called to this because I felt really comfortable talking about sex. And I had come so far in my own journey just in that six months of like really like being more body neutral, actually having love and adoration for my vulva, which mm. before that in my life, I was uncomfortable with it. Why would anybody want to go down there? I just had I had no good feelings about it. And by this point, I'm taking pictures of my vulva. I'm sending them to my friends. I'm yes. I learned how to masturbate. I had never been a. I had masturbated occasionally before that. Um, mm-hmm. Out of more spite to my husband at the time, like you're not going to control all of my oh sexuality. God. Like right. I had a vibrator, and he would like booby trap it to see if it had moved during the day. I should be saving what? all of my sex for him. It was um wow. it was not healthy. It was not healthy. No. So I never I never masturbated because I wanted to. I masturbated like a haha, you won't control every part of it. It was like a father-daughter relationship in that God. power dynamic kind of way of I like I never understood why men have a problem with women masturbating, but like we kind of accept it as like, eh, it's part part and parcel if you're marrying a dude. It was short-sighted. Mm-hmm. It was so short-sighted because once I learned to masturbate and figure out what I liked, my partner sex changed mm-hmm. so much. So so I was a different person. I even mm-hmm. got to the point where I could masturbate without a toy, which felt like I could be dropped on a deserted island and I would be okay. Like nice. it was a challenge that I, I conquered. And um, so anyways... I meet Betty Dotson. I can say I came with Betty Dotson, right? She she's at 85 was multi-orgasmic. I can say mm. she had at least three orgasms. So I was literally laying right next to her on the floor Ugh. of the living room doing part of that workshop is a 
um, a bit of a circle jerk, or, right? Yeah. Erotic recess where all of us take these tools that we've learned over the weekend and we get to masturbate in the space of other women, which is fucking magical. Oof. And and I was masturbating literally right next to Betty Dotson. And oh I just, God. I have picture, a picture of us like naked post or, you know, post erotic recess. And it just mm-hmm. that woman. Oh, what a a vibrant, amazing gift that we had in this world for 90, I think she was 92, maybe when she passed. I think so. So I'm definitely going to talk more about her on this program. And I'm sure that, you know, we will be coming back to it when you come back on. Yeah, she's, she's just such a fucking delight or she was Mm -hmm. such a fucking delight. Like she talked like a sailor through her podcast, through the body sex video, you know, through her teachings, through her art. Mm-hmm. Oh, her fucking art. Oh my God. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. She She's just, uh, yeah, we'll have to do an episode just on like the lore of, of Betty Dotson, right? Right. Um. So I decided I wanted to do hands-on sex ed and um, long story short, I mean, it's a really long story and I've already <laughs> talked a lot. Um, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I went to Sex Geek Summer Camp, which is a, a, a summer camp for sex educators. So like a business, they teach you business skills. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm going camp. next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a camp mm-hmm. like that has really fun parties at night, but we're learning about how to build your brand and shit during the day, right? Mm-hmm. I went there because I was like, I, I want to do sex ed. There's going to be a bunch of sex educators there. I'll figure out who I want to be when I grow up, right? I'll Did go you get there to go I'll... while it was still on the East Coast? Yes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Lucky duck. Yeah, yeah I'm going to travel. Yeah, 2015, I went. Um, This year is going to be the 10-year anniversary, so it'll be a really great year to go if you can. Oh, I'm planning Um, on it. I'm I'm making it happen. It's such an – I mean, it really, for what you get, it's such an affordable week. Mm -hmm. Like, it really is. Um, I met really wonderful people. I learned – I didn't learn what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, What I learned was the value of of vulnerability. Mm. Um, I left camp – with this personal kind of, this is how I'm going to show up in the world of talking about my fear. Yes. Like go, I went home to my partner and I started to say things like, okay, I have this fear showing up for me right now. I just need to share it with you. And it okay. built connection. It was so, so powerful. And it changed all of my relationships when I started to be transparent about what the brain weasels were saying in my head, Right. Right. And that was my takeaway. Reed Mahalko talked about hamsters, the hamsters in your head. The way that you stop feeding them is to say them out loud. And he modeled that. And I, I get choked up thinking about it because that thing is what I do in my work. If yes. you can nut down what I'm doing is just modeling vulnerability and making it like not something that we should run away from, but that there's power in it and it changes how we connect to people. And yes. so I took that. That was my big takeaway from Sex Geek Summer Camp. <laughs> and I met a person, um, Amanda Ananda, who's an East Coast Tantra practitioner. We ended up in a conversation about what would it be like to do professional cuddling? Like this was just a conversation that popped up in the Sex Geek Summer Camp Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And she says to me, you know, there's this new company called Cuddlist and they're offering free training right now. If you go to New York or Chicago and you're close to Chicago, because I was living in West Michigan at the time, mm-hmm. two, th- two to three hour drive. Okay. And what do we have to lose? 
at least right. we'll get some training of what, how do you, how do you professional cuddle? What is that business like? What do I don't know? I don't know what I don't know. Right. And so right. I had nothing to lose. So I drove to Chicago, December 1st, 2015. I showed up at Madeline Guanazzo's condo. Mm. I was the only person there. She did a training over Skype with a room full of people in New York City. And I left that night as a certified cuddlist. You know, Jenny, <laughs> that that is a very different situation It's a very now. different path. <laughs> yeah. But I, I ended up, so I was probably the first, I haven't verified this. I think I was the first cuddlist outside of New York or Chicago. It was very lonely. Right. But um, later that year, uh, so that was twenty end of 2015. By mm -hmm. fall of 2016, I had this blog that was going called Sex After Marriage. And it's not, unfortunately, it's not available anymore, but I'm going to turn it into like an ebook so that it still lives. Okay. Um, I was writing this blog about my experience um, post-divorce mm -hmm. in ex exploring kink and BDSM and also polyamory. And it was just okay. kind of this public diary and I was getting lots of really great feedback on it. And it was very like, oh, my friend built that website and he used some boudoir pictures I had done as part of my post-divorce <laughs> reclaim myself shit. Mm -hmm. And he put them on this blog and I, the day that like, blog deep launched, breath. deep breath, <laughs> I felt so exposed mm. and not in a bad way, just an uncomfortable way. And People from right. high school were going, is this Michelle Purdy? Like that was my maiden name. <laughs> As I'm like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was teasy. It wasn't like exposing by right. any means. You're not doing like the weird, you know, male I lens zoom spread. in of your vulva like in porn. Right. No, no, no. no, no, no. Very <laughs> tasteful, wonderful pictures. <laughs> it's like a tease. Mm. But out there. So anyways, fast yep. forward. I had this blog going and, um, and Adam Lippin, who was the co-founder of Cuddlist with Madeline Guanazzo, emails mm -hmm. me one day and says, hey, we see you have this blog and that you can write. Could you answer some emails for us? Like, we just need some administrative help. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and it turned into becoming like the operations manager of Cuddlist for like four years. So, right. So I'm cuddling. I'm doing that. Um, I'm also dabbling in sex work. Right. Okay. And, you know, I've got cuddle clients coming to me that are like, wow, you're this, the sex geeky cuddler, you know, all these things. Can you help me with this stuff? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, an older man, one of the first people was an older man. He was in his seventies, probably at least. And he had never talked to anybody about sex. And we had Aww. our first session. And afterwards he says, does anything weird ever happen to your clients after they see you? And I was like, you're going to have to tell me what weird means, right? Right. So let's talk about that at our next session. So I get to the next session and he's like, yeah, um, after, and he was a great client. He knew exactly what he wanted. He, he had this plot, like, I need you to touch my back here. I need you to touch my back here. Like something mm -hmm. about your feminine energy really helps with this. My wife used to do this stuff, you know, whatever. It was very sweet. He was a lovely mm -hmm. client. He said, that night after our session, I woke up with an erection. I haven't had an erection in years. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. You right. probably had an erotic dream. And I didn't mm -hmm. want to take credit for it. But I'm sure having me around just kind of 
brought up some new feelings and hormones or and like all those kinds of things. allowing his body to like release some, yeah. you know, sense memory that was like holding him back from that. So Ugh. we have this conversation and he's like, can you masturbate without an erection? Because he, what he did is he woke up with the erection and he's like, I got to use this, right? Because <laughs> I haven't had one in Don't years. Don't want to waste it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, um, and he was also kind of a neat freak. And so he didn't want to ejaculate in bed because that would be a mess to him. His place was always very meticulous. So he's like, all right, he's telling me the story. He's like, so I went to the bathroom and I was like, tell me that you didn't lose your erection on the way to the bathroom. And he's like, I did. I was like, oh, Aww. like I'm in it with him. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, you." and he's like, so I didn't, you know, I didn't get to ejaculate. And I was like, damn, you don't masturbate with a soft penis. And he's like, can you? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, you could try even a vibrator. And he's like, men can use vibrators? And I was like, we should probably talk about lube then too, right? And he was just like, it was like he didn't know any of these things. And he started to call me the professor, right? (laughs) And I used to sell sex toys. So I was able to bring him some of my old sock. He was so private. He didn't want to risk anybody. Like he didn't want to go to a shop to shop. He didn't want to have something sent to his home. He was so afraid. So I brought some of my leftover stock so he could pick through that and kind of shop from home situation. Um, That's lovely. No, that's really lovely. Because think about people who don't who don't ever get to play with any of that because of the shame, fear, guilt that is like looped in with them from, you know, earliest memories. Yeah. So here's the thing though, that day talking to him about that, the next time I see him, he says, so I have a confession. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, when we were talking about that, I got an erection again. And I was like, that's fantastic. Right. (laughs) How awesome. (laughs) And he goes, I have a request. Please don't feel obligated to say yes. And I was like, yeah, lay it on me. He goes, could you talk to me again about this kind of stuff and see if I get erect again? Would you be open to the idea of me masturbating and seeing if I could reach orgasm while you talk to me? And is this over the phone or is this in person? In person. Okay. And I said, and how did you feel about it? Yeah. It was I'm a hell yes. for that. Okay. I'm game for that. Right? right. That's not what we're supposed to do in a cuddle session. Right. Right. And at this time, I want to state he was he did not come through Cuddlist. He had mm-hmm. been somebody who had responded to a Craigslist ad because that's what we were doing back then. And I had my own ads running. And so he had never hit the he never hit the Cuddlist system. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause they do have, like have very, like very big separation. Separation. And back then, yeah. Back then they 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 weren't really acknowledging the the idea of sex work. Okay. And how to navigate those spaces. It was something that came mm-hmm. later where they, they do say like now, if you're whatever modality, if you're going to move somebody to a different modality, whether it's massage therapy or sex work, you need to have informed consent. So there's a, a break in this is not a cuddleless client anymore. Right. Right. So we have mm-hmm. we have ways to do that now. And um but back then he was not a cuddleless client. I didn't mm-hmm. I wasn't breaking any rules officially. Right. right. This has yes. come up for you at some point. Like you're just like, I've got to hammer this home real quick. This is a hard thing for me to figure out. I mean, this has right. taken years to figure out how to do multiple modalities. 
Um, and what does and your shirt of, say? Lean back. What is that? Whisper. Nice. Fucking yeah. fantastic. We're going to yeah. talk about that at some point okay. too. <laughs> so, so, um, so I guess you could say this is my intro to soft penises, right? Okay. I guess. I guess. And but that was very say, early. That was very so, early in your career. Yeah. So I, um, I said yes. Mm-hmm. He could masturbate. I think I talked to him about stories of me and my partner going to swinger clubs and shit. Like I just went into storytelling time, right? Because my life mm-hmm. is so salacious and blah 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 blah. Right. Um, I've done the things. Hey. I've done all the things. Let me tell you the stories. And and he <laughs> he orgasmed. Nice. This nice. was a moment of like quality of life changing for him. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of that session so fucking proud. And my heart just like, I got to help this person achieve something he hadn't felt in so many years. Right. And that's when I was like, I love sex work. I love cuddling too, but this was a different satisfaction. Mm-hmm. This was a different satisfaction. And so... um I have other of those kinds of stories of where I veered outside of what we're supposed to do in the platonic cuddle space. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the, it's not super relevant. Um, I think right. this is a really relevant story because of this. And, and in the end, we kept working together. Um, mm-hmm. he, he started to explore all sorts of stuff about his sexuality. Like mm-hmm. it was super cool. This older, older man, like I say 70 is very, uh, he might've even been 80. Right. Um, Starting to just be like trying things that he I never think I got might be to. Bisexual. Oh fucking yes. He never talked to anybody. He had, you know, I, I said at one point, um, he had some heart stuff, and I said, "Have you, you know?" He was asking me questions about some things he was noticing during masturbation, um, mm-hmm. and I said, "You should really talk to your cardiologist about this." And he goes, "Oh, I've I've never talked to anybody about sex but you. Aww. Like, I was his first access point to any of this, and so." Um, that certainly played into um, moving to California to be with my partner. Um, I realized I could probably do surrogate partner therapy now. Mm-hmm. Like I'd heard about it. I had met some surrogates at sex geek summer camp. I had watched mm-hmm. the sessions, which is a movie with Helen hunt um, mm-hmm. about surrogate partner therapy. That's not accurate. I mean, it's, I mean, what, but it, what it movie introduces- representation, what, yeah. You know, like we we have this discussion. I just had this discussion about like don't think that pornography is a good representation of sex because right. it is a very contrived representation. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. people who watched Army Wives when I was an army wife and would be like, "Is that what it's really like?" I'm like, "No." And, and nobody fair- is like mobilizing the FRG and helping <laughs> all of us out. No, that's not happening. God damn so- it. So, so, so surrogate partner therapy is represented in that movie, but it has evolved a lot over the years and we never did come back. So, so this is a great place to say, what is surrogate partner therapy? As of right now, Michelle, what is surrogate partner therapy? (laughs) As of right now, and I don't know what the evolution will look like. I have ideas of what I want the evolution to be, but what it is right now is it's a modality where I, as the, the touch worker, I work with clients that are in talk therapy that are struggling with emotional and physical intimacy. And mm-hmm. they've kind of stalled out in talk therapy. They're not making progress. We need to do something to mix things up. And I come mm-hmm. in and I create a relationship with the client, a, a way to, I wouldn't, I won't call it a romantic relationship, but it is definitely a relationship with um, vulnerability and establishing some 
some really good relational skills around communication and learning about boundaries and things like that. So that if we need to, we can move into erotic work. If that's what it's going to take therapeutically called for to help this client move forward in and move past these blocks that are showing up for them, why they're not able to get into usually it's romantic relationships. And how does that look when it starts? Like what things are people facing or what have they Mm -hmm. tried and not had success with that, you know, a a therapist kind of like reaches out to you or one of your colleagues that does this? It's usually around sexual dysfunction, right? Sex is a big carrot right? We will, we will avoid a lot of work in our lives, um, personal work Mm -hmm. until it hits our sex life. Right. Like, right. Then it Mm -hmm. becomes the thing that we're willing to throw our time and energy at. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of times, because I work with a lot of cis men, it's around erectile, we could call it erectile dysfunction. I moved to erectile disappointment. And now I've even gotten another upgrade to erectile differences. I was about to say, is it difference? Is it differently abled erection? Yeah, like something um, along those lines. That and like premature ejaculation comes up as a a a thing that drives people to seek more support. Um, Mm -hmm. A lack of experience, people that didn't have their sexual debut at a time when we we are social. It's socially acceptable to not know what you're doing, and so you just hold back and have fear to be to find yourself in a sexual space. Mm -hmm. So you just don't date. Like there's this, this, like it just closes you down. Um, And see with my sex coaching, I have the opposite. I have the guys who have like the death grip and have to watch pornography in order to get off or have a real, real issue. um, You know, having orgasm in partnered sex. Mm -hmm. And I see that end of the spectrum. I see that too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I think what, I don't think they understand what's happening. I think that's part of um, delayed ejaculation, right? That that mm-hmm. shows up in my world too. Um, so, so because the the cis men aspect, that's the primary thing. But it okay. also is, I think, what's behind there is different. Um, people can come for their they're exploring their sexual identity mm-hmm. later in life, like realizing, oh, maybe. Um, maybe I, maybe I am interested in the same gender, what have you. Um, and, right. And they it becomes a little s- more fluid. It becomes that, part that of like gender their, spectrum. Yeah. It can become mm-hmm. part of their therapy work. Um, gender identity. Okay. Like, uh, That's a big one. I have definitely, I've worked with, um, trans clients that they spent a long time in their, their, their history figuring out their gender. Mm-hmm. And they put their sexuality in a box and now mm-hmm. they're ready to pull the sexuality part out. But how do you do that and, and join like some people can't just jump into the dating world because they, right. they just feel stuck again because of a lack of experience um, there. But a lot of it, when you really peel back the symptoms, mm-hmm. it's about needing a safe place to build like safety in yourself right so like a safe place to explore or sexual assault backgrounds underlie Mm -hmm. a lot of this right they've had some kind of negative experience and how do we overcome that how do we Mm -hmm. build the confidence in ourselves to trust in ourselves 
right? The trust in other people. So it's a lot like what we do in cuddling. Mm -hmm. Um, Low key people come to professional cuddlers sometimes because they're lonely, sometimes because they're touch starved, but sometimes it's because they need, like, I I always say, like, I feel like if I'm going to oversimplify the cuddle audience for me is like, um, men come because they're touch starved Mm -hmm. and, and and just to gender binary, this women come because they want to work on boundaries. Okay. I don't know if you've experienced this or if you've, I know that like for me, I think that men come because they are trying to push boundaries and see if I am possibly a sex worker and yeah. um, you have helped me get real, real clear That's you're on new. that. Yes. That's because you're new. And, and to there's... tell them, no, that is yeah. not what's up. Sorry. Yeah. I am yeah. full on monog at the moment. So no, not even a question. And yeah. um, for women, I think that the best thing that, or the, or the, the thing that you gave me that helped me describe what was happening with women clients is uh, the book Mother Hunger. Mm, I think people yes. come to me to be like an older sister mom who can just yes. hold and embrace and let be. You That's know? true. That's true. Yeah. I, yes. That in, in, I think in that, what I've learned about the reparenting process is that the, mother, the remothering is in learning self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And what I've again, I read a lot. Um, the the one book I'm specifically referencing, if anybody's interested, is uh, "Complex PTSD: From Surviving to Thriving" by Pete Walker, and he talks about reparenting by committee. Mm-hmm. And I think of the talk therapist as a committee member, and I think of us in touch work as a committee member. Whether you're mm-hmm. coming in as a cuddler, or surrogate partner, or sex worker, what whatever that piece is. Mm-hmm. So the the refathering is about learning self-protection. Okay. And I think about my own personal journey and I've gotten really good at the self-compassion and now I'm working on the self-protection, meaning how to keep myself safe. Okay. Not walled off, but really taking care of my inner child. Mm-hmm. Like in a protective way. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I've got you. That's a, that's a common internal dialogue I have with my inner child is I know I haven't always been good at this. Mm -hmm. I get why you're scared and I've got it. I I can take care of you. Right. Right. And I think some of that is definitely um, part of that is the process they learn in their time with us. Um, Maybe unconsciously, but that, that mother hunger, Mm -hmm. that's, that's where they start to learn self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So back to just real quick, back to Mm -hmm. surrogate partner therapy. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is probably the, so I am not a surrogate partner. I just know a lot of you. Um, And I think that a question that I get a lot is, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going to work on sex issues like in a triad, what does that mean? What does that yeah, look what does like? It look like, like, are you doing that? Like with your therapist, like taking notes and, <laughs> you know, that seems so like lab yeah. work, Ugh. Yeah, you know? No, and, so, yeah. yeah. The, the client um, will have had an established relationship with the talk therapist first. 
Mm-hmm. Right. They don't just get to go to a therapist and say, okay, I'm ready to do surrogate partner therapy. You get to be my therapist and this person gets to be my surrogate and we're just going to jump in and get started. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way, at least not for me. Um, that what I've learned over the, the, see, I started, I really started practicing at the beginning of 2020. So what I've learned over the last three and a half years is that mm-hmm. that relationship with the talk therapist and the client is so, so, so valuable and important to have like a depth to knowledge there, a real Mm -hmm. understanding of the client and their history and how they show up in relationship, even with the therapist, right? Like that's really Mm -hmm. important. So then I come in and I start working with them. And this is a process that usually is a year or more sometimes of work together, meeting on a Mm -hmm. regular basis. Like this has not happened quickly. This is where the sessions is very different. It's like they have a limit of, I think, six sessions and she's like naked on the first session, right? That is not what's happening. We are spending an extended amount of time. We say there's like three phases of the work. And the first phase is like establishing really good communication. I cannot offer you anything if I do not trust that you have a no. Okay. So we're doing a lot of um, in cuddle party. There's a, there's a a game called the yes, no game. Um, Mm -hmm. In our work, we call it, will you, may I, but we're testing how does it feel to say yes and no and helping them understand why it's important to have a no. Mm -hmm. Like, why I can't get close to people. I didn't have one. Yeah, me I didn't either. have one for many years. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that I yeah. was allowed to have a no. Yeah. Like you that's one of those real, things. You cannot <sighs> have a real authentic relationship without no being available. Because your yes is not really a yes if your no is not safe. Mm-hmm. And that that goes back to the pre- my previous marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Like my my no was not appreciated. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between my relationship now and my relationship then. The primary difference is that my no is celebrated. I'm an autonomous human being that gets to make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. Right? I know what you mean. So, so people are coming into the work and we got to get that baseline figured out right. first. If they come in with a history of childhood abuse, that no has been trained out of them. Not only do they not have it, but it's literally been trained away from them. And so we're right. going to work on that. And that takes time, right? Mm-hmm. This is about um, working on co-regulation, much like we do in cuddling, where our nervous systems are talking to each other and learning how to feel safe together. We're learning how to talk about hard stuff. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be hard, right? What does it feel like to really want to say yes to something, but you're afraid to? What does it feel like to really want to say no, but you feel like you have to say yes? Like mm-hmm. these things we have to um, normalize, um, the discomfort of disappointing someone, but like, we got to quit disappointing ourselves. Yes. Right. We're putting ourselves after whatever Mm -hmm. the result might be of the yes or no. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time there. This is not, you know, people used to call this sex surrogacy, because mm-hmm. it was really based around the act of the sexual dysfunction. Like we're really only focused on that. And this is relational work. This is right. sex is a, a component potentially of the work, but it is not 
the majority of the work is about shoring up your your ability to be in relationship with authenticity and um, integrity and just how to help have healthy relationships and not just romantic relationships. This right. is the this is where I talk about what do I want to see in the future of surrogate partner therapy is that mm-hmm. we quit looking at partner as romantic partner. Yes. We start looking at it as surrogate person therapy. I'm coming in as another nervous system, a, another adult to relate with, and that might be because we got to work on the mother wound. It might be that we're doing the reparenting process. It it might be that it's the romantic partnership thing because that's where a lot of stuff shows up the loudest in our life. But mm-hmm. like, I want to broaden it out bigger. And there there are certainly people that are already doing that, but we're not talking about the work that way. We're talking about the work from a place of sexual dysfunction. Right. And see now, like hearing you talk about it right now, like all that's going through my mind is the wheel of consent training. So- so most of my work is wheel of consent. Okay. Most of my work is wheel of consent. And um it's just want to talk is, about that just a little bit. Like Yeah, I mean, so so going to like a pro was mm-hmm. it, which is the wheel of consent training for touch professionals or any professional. There's a lot of talk therapists that go to that that workshop. Right. Um I'm in it right well, now. So yeah. that's why what, it's probably really present in my mind. <laughs> yeah. What I learned in that space, is I don't have to teach my clients the wheel. The wheel is, mm-hmm. is a lot. It's a, it's a lot to learn. But I need to understand it as a practitioner so that I can remind myself where I'm at in the wheel. Who is this for? So the big mm-hmm. question of the wheel of consent is to t- really learn to be a, more conscious in your touch. Or wherever you, it doesn't have to be touch related, but that's mm-hmm. that's where the practice, the the general work workshop of it is learning how to touch with more consciousness, right? So right. who is this for? I'm I'm learning that I can touch you in a way that feels good to me, rather than touching you so that you feel good, so that I get the hit of. I just made this person feel good. And that is like indirect pleasure. I'm getting my pleasure through your pleasure. We can Mm -hmm. be more, it's more sustainable if we learn how to acquire our own pleasure. Mm -hmm. Right? So learning that I can be touched in ways that feel good to me and I can touch you in ways that feel good to me. And then Mm -hmm. you're not responsible for my pleasure. Right? Right. And that is a hard thing for people to wrap their head around. And what I learned in wheel in in taking like a pro the wheel of consent, that I I kind of knew the wheel a little bit and I was using it in my surrogate partner work. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't realize was that how important it is to learn these skills outside of the bedroom. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so far for me, that's what's showing up is the domain limit boundaries that you focus on first and that you, your domain is what you have a right and a responsibility for, like, and like having these conversations just with people who are like, you know, your mom or your sister or a friend who like constantly, you know, needs you to provide when you're like, what, but wait, like, I, I, I can't, I don't have that to give. And those discussions don't happen often enough. If I could have learned about domain when I was a kid. Yeah. 
yeah. before somebody entered your domain against your against your I, want or your will. Or I, I gave up my agency. Yeah. Right. Um, so so I learned it like a pro that I don't have to teach all the intricacies of the wheel of consent. I'm I'm no. really teach I'm I'm in my work, I'm teaching them about who is this for. Mm-hmm. And taking their ego out of it. Because when I first started surrogate partner therapy, I remember being with a client and they said, um, can I touch your vulva? And I said, yes, but who is it for? This is the first time I ever brought the question, who is it for, into our work, was in mm-hmm. this moment. And he got very like, well, of course it's for you. And I go, is it? Is it? Mm-hmm. But the idea that he would want to touch it for him felt like a negative thing. And it's just hmm. about being honest. Right. Because if you're asking to touch my vulva and I'm supposed to perform in a certain way, huh, like it's so much free, more freeing to say, you want to touch my vulva for you? Touch away. Mm-hmm. I am totally a yes for that. But if I'm expected to respond in a certain way so that you can get that indirect pleasure, Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. No, 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 thanks. And and so 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 going to to like a pro, um, in in taking that back to my work just helped solidify all the things that I kind of already knew, but I didn't mm-hmm. really know. Like that that workshop is the best, I think, training for anybody working in touch, right? Yeah. And I mean, just in general, the wheel of consent workshops, like. I, I say a lot of times when co- I don't work with couples very often, um, mm-hmm. my, my sweet spot is, is singles. Um, mm-hmm. when I get a couple, when I get a couple, that's like, we're struggling in something usually sexual intimacy mm-hmm. related. I always go, okay, you ready to, to, to turn your relationship upside down a little bit because mm-hmm. I think you need a new paradigm. Right. And if you if I send them off to read, you know, Betty Martin's um, The Art of Receiving and Giving or send send them off to some of Betty's videos. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Boy, are they going to have to take a real deep look at how they've been maneuvering through their relationship? Yep. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's they probably intense. need a marriage, a marriage counselor, too. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. here's a book mm-hmm. with a side of therapy. Right, because um, <laughs> relationship no, dynamics really. are going to change. Yeah, and yeah, I think that that's really important when you talk about surrogate partner therapy. Is that it's not sex surrogacy, you know? Mm-mm. It's not. It is relationship surrogacy. It's relationship it work. Is learning how to relate. It is the <laughs> thing that's fucking missing from our sex ed. Mm-hmm. We don't get taught that. I mean. Granted, there's lots of things missing from our sex ed, but yeah, but the part where you don't get to just want this and expect that that means someone else wants it too is really mm-hmm. lost on a lot of people, or that you don't have to want the mm-hmm. same thing that your partner does. You can be willing, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a very big difference between relenting and being willing, but maybe not wanting, mm-hmm. right? If I want something, it's for me. Mm-hmm. If I'm willing, it's for the other person. And those don't have to be at odds, 
or a negative thing, as long right. as you're within your autonomy, within your agency, within your domain, like inside mm-hmm. the wheel and not outside the wheel. Right. And right? just and very that's, clear and honest. Yeah. There's you know? a lot of nuance. I don't think that the general person is going to understand and connect all the dots nah. of this. But it's uh, part. It's part of what you do in, in you surrogate get, part yes, therapy. If you get curious about it. Mm-hmm. There's people teaching these all across the country, these workshops. There's mm-hmm. books where you don't even have to go to the workshop. You can get the book and work through it with your partner. You can, Betty Martin has free videos on all this stuff oh, on yeah. her website. Like what you can School do a of lot consent, of this, you know, School yeah, of and consent. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yep. You can do a lot of this on your own. If you want to mm-hmm. self-help your way through this, you can do that. And here's a side gig that I think would work really well for a lot of surrogate partners is you could go and find someone to help you figure these exercises out because Mm -hmm. maybe they aren't translating well and you need a a third person to come in and help you and your partner um, connect the dots on some of this stuff. So yes, surrogate partner is a lot of wheel of consent work. And, Mm -hmm. And when you start to touch with consciousness, you can start to touch more places of the body with consciousness. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do is we can take it to a, 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 a farther, a further level. I can go, I can go all the way to, to partnered sex, to, to penis and vagina sex. If it right. feels therapeutically relevant to the work and all of us are a yes to it. If any okay. of us, the therapist, myself or the client are a no, we stop. And so my personal boundaries on surrogate partner therapy have started to shift. I've started to say, I don't want to hold all that erotic energy with my client. And Mm -hmm. I really feel like the the meat and potatoes of this work is before we get to that part of the Mm -hmm. work. And as a sex worker, I don't feel that it is um, financially equitable for me to offer those services as part of surrogate partner therapy. And so I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm finding that I'm not the only surrogate partner that is having more limited boundaries around the work. So this goes back into my bigger picture. Mm -hmm. I want to see more surrogate partners that offer more of a platonic experience. Right. So it's like, we go back to professional cuddling. Right. I want to see basically platonic surrogate partner therapy, which is like professional cuddling, but with more structure, more training. Yeah. And right? well, so would it be in the triadic model? I, I we In my industry, we only call it surrogate partner therapy when it is in triadic model. Right. So what you're saying, like, I'm just, I'm just trying to be clear because like people can yeah. go, you know, and find a cuddle therapist, mm-hmm. lots of different places, but mm-hmm. This would be yeah. more of a thing like, okay, we're doing this as part of your already, you know, initiated and grounded mm-hmm. um, psychotherapy. There's goals, right? Mm-hmm. There's clear goals. I think of surrogate partner therapy as just more structured work. We come like in a treatment with, plan. Yeah, or, we and we yeah. have a different toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've only been trained in in professional cuddling, and I'm just going to speak specifically of of cuddleists because that's my mm-hmm. only background. I have never been trained by anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, You have some really great skills to get started. um, But just on a basic training, probably, I I don't know that you should be working with people with a lot of trauma. Right. 
um, that's something every individual will decide where, where they feel like they're a good fit and knowing mm-hmm. our limits is really important and knowing when we're outside of our scope and right. we don't want to, we want to do our best to create as safe a container as we can. We cannot guarantee a hundred percent safety, right? no matter what kind of work you're doing, but we should know our limits. We mm-hmm. should know like part of doing any of this hands-on any, sorry, any helper profession right is about doing our own work mm-hmm. we've got to have our sh- our ducks in a row right mm-hmm. we've got to be doing our own therapy whether it's talk therapy or whatever whatever our version of therapy is to 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 have a real sense of i know what is my shit so that i'm not confusing it with the client's shit absolutely Right. Absolutely. Even talk therapists. Absolutely. 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 So, so we're responsible to show up in the ways that we want to show up Mm -hmm. in the ways that we can show up. So I think of like when I first started cuddling, it was great to just be able to hold space for people. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I still do is just holding a a safer container for people to come for whatever they need. If it's, you know, loneliness, grief, the, the mother hunger. Just like they don't have someone that they can do that with. Like society mm-hmm. has said, it is not okay for you to ask for this from mm-hmm. your platonic friends or from your cousin or whatever. Like you have people yeah. in your life, but you can't get this. Well, and sometimes it's not, it's not, the, it's not the same as a professional. In right. a professional container, we know who this is for. Mm-hmm. If, and even now as a professional cuddler, if my friend says, I would like to to do some cuddling. Like, I, I just want to, like, can we trade? Could we do a thing? To me, it's really important that we have a really clear idea of who it's for mm-hmm. because it's real easy for that to get blurry mm-hmm. in a friendship or yes. in a relationship. I have a, a friend that I used to cuddle with and we would set a timer and the first half of our session would be for them and the second half would be for me. And you might mm-hmm. say, what's the difference? It is different. different. Who is holding the space and who is taking space, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that we have to see our profession as a real benefit, not a because you can't get your friends to do it or because you can't get your wife to do it or whoever Mm -hmm. that person is. It's because it's different. Right. It's, It's the difference between, you know, me buzzing my partner's head down rather than him going to a barber. Right. Right. It's a, it's a different experience. It is with a different knowledge base, mm-hmm. right? So, so when you, the difference between like working with a professional cuddler who just decided they're taking money and that's what makes them professional right. and a person that's decided to invest in training so that they have a better idea of, of what they don't know, right? Like I didn't know why would I need to be trained as a professional cuddler? Oh, mm-hmm. well now looking back at it. I had shit for boundaries. Mm-hmm. I was a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I would have I would have thrown myself under the tr- the bus to make sure that my client was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right? If I didn't know that I didn't like if I didn't I, if I didn't go through that process, I wouldn't have known that I didn't know those things. Right. You can't yeah. know what you don't yeah. know. So mm-hmm. surrogate partner comes with a different level of training. Mm-hmm. Right? There's more intense mentorship. Now, t- now again, surrogate partner therapy, like cuddling, is not a, a regulated industry. There's no licensing. There's nothing to say. Um, what kind of training did you get? These are the questions we have to start 
educating our consumers on because mm-hmm. anybody can call themselves a professional cuddler. Anybody can call themselves a surrogate. Right. But what have they done? What kind of training, what kind of mentorship, what kind of continued community do they have mm-hmm. that is holding them accountable? Right. And because it but, really but, isn't. I mean, that's the scary part of it is like, it, it, it has such a power to do way more harm than good in, in inappropriate hands. Yeah. I just, what are the ethics of your practitioner? Mm-hmm. Right. If they're using their work to get their own needs met, mm-hmm. then who is it for? Right. Right. And and so um, I think that to sum that up, I think there's a lot of overlap between professional cuddling and surrogate partner therapy. And I want to see those worlds start to um, expand each other. Like I want to see I every time I see a new surrogate partner, I go, you should do cuddle training. I think it'd be really helpful for your modality and it'll give you some, some more toolbox. And when I see mm-hmm. professional cuddlers who are kind of leaning towards wanting to do deeper work, I, I say you should really consider surrogate partner therapy because that is a place where you're continuing that same skill set with just mm-hmm. more depth of toolbox. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to jump to mm-hmm. talk to about penises what you have and how you all right so we talked about how that got there or how you got yeah. there now i want to talk about what is going to happen next month yeah. because you got there yeah so i met the i met I, you know I, I started dealing with penises um that were a lot more, less reliable than the one that right. i had in my first marriage god that one did not fail to show up and i wish it did right like <laughs> I came out of that marriage thinking that all penises are just ready to go all the time and they don't have complicated relationships with their owners. <laughs> like I had a complication, complicated relationship with my vulva, but penises clearly are just simple creatures. Well, that ready. is not true. Ready. It is not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. I learned that through, you know, my first year of post-divorce of like, I call it dating with quotes, but more like it was just the penis buffet, right? I was just shopping at the penis buffet and I quickly learned there's not one that doesn't have a complicated relationship, right? It was just, Fair enough. I had to learn that um, the hard way. There's so many puns here, right? But amazing. I had to learn that a, how a penis responds to me is not about how the person feels about me. So mm. to the partners of penis owners, their, their difficulty around erection or the difference in their erection is not a reflection of you full right. stop um and we gotta like we gotta expand our idea of what sex is this so this whole soft cock we got kind of launched because um i was on a couple of interviews with my colleague brian gibney my work husband and mm-hmm. we were we did a couple of interviews um last summer mm-hmm. um where we started to talk about like we kind of low key teach people how to queer their sex. Okay. Fair enough. Like I think of about I think about queer sex versus like heteronormative sex. Mhm. Where penis and vagina man climaxes women might uh that is the norm, right? Gold standard, right? We do a little bit of yeah. the ugly word of foreplay. foreplay. I hate that word. Yeah. So that we can get to the real sex. Right. 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 So if you're the having only, the only sex that matters. Yes. Yeah. If you're having yeah. erectile differences and that makes the the real sex hard to get to. Right. Mm. We stop having sex. 
Like, why? We stop having sex or we start taking pills, right? Oh, there's lots of options out there, right? And they come with mm-hmm. they come with with potential side effects. I want to acknowledge that mm-hmm. these things don't happen with no um, problems, right? I have a friend who um, I don't remember if he was taking Viagra, Cialis, which one it was, but he had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Like these Ooh. these things are not without risk. Um, you know, you can you can go do injections, you can do mm-hmm. implants. There's lots of ways around this, and I think everybody should have again the autonomy to make those decisions mm-hmm. with enough education to know a full range of what the options are. Here's right. the thing. You can still have sex without an erect penis and you can still Do masturbate without an erect penis. Well, like, you know, I like to go back to the orgasm gap. Okay. Who is not struggling in the orgasm gap world? I don't know. Men? The lesbians. Oh, the well, lesbians. Men. men men are not struggling. Right. In the partnered sex. Okay. Like if we look okay. at the full, the full, the, the couple dumb. Mm-hmm. Who is not struggling? The lesbians. Lesbians. All right. Is there an erect penis in the le- in the lesbian sexual encounter? No. Not no. not all the time. Like there might be toys, but there might be most toys. likely no. There can be <laughs> toys in the heterosexual relationship also. Mm-hmm. Right? And so like Okay, the, so there's not an actual erect penis. I'm with you now. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I the was like, there's something bio. that could mimic it, but there's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The 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 um OEM, oper- you know, the original operating, whatever, right? The, the, right. the how it came off the, the factory floor, right? Like, so, so when I say low key querying your sex, it's like when okay. I work with people in the sexual sphere, because let me back up, just because I'm not working in the erotic partnered sex part of surrogate partner therapy doesn't mean I don't do that work as an intimacy guide. I just get to charge based on the, the amount of energy that goes into my work. And so right. I still do this, this, this work with people. Um, what I'm trying to help them do is to, to show up for sex, no matter how their penis shows up, because it okay. becomes less reliable. Like to be fair, I see people with erectile differences from the twenties through the eighties. Right. I think my oldest right. client was 85. Right. Um, my youngest, I think, 21. Um, mm-hmm. And not necessarily that they all had erectile issues, but in the 20s, they, they definitely are showing up with erectile issues. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is pressure, a pressure to perform a certain way. What if you mm-hmm. take the pressure to perform off the table? Right. What if you just get to show up with a desire to connect physically with your person? Mm-hmm. And we ask the question, like you're doing in Wheel of Consent right now, what would feel good to you right now? Mm-hmm. maybe it's not even sex or a sexual right. contact to start with maybe it's i just want a nice soft touch all across my backside mm-hmm. right and we start there and we just get real present with what would feel good right now and use the tools that we have available to us right so if your penis isn't showing up what else can be done 
I just want to <laughs> highlight my my t-shirt again. <laughs> and for those right? only listening, a... says yeah. butthole whisperer. <laughs> right? Because we could think about like if you're in a heterosexual relationship, well, mm-hmm. yeah, your partner can uh, your 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 female partner can still have a lot of pleasure. There's oral sex, there's hand sex. I'm a big if I could if I only had access to one kind of sex for the rest of my life, I would take hand sex over anything else. Right. Um like there's lots of ways to get to, to if 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 you're looking to get to orgasm, I think pleasure should be expanded beyond goal-oriented sex of we've got to got to get to the the orgasm, but orgasms feel fucking great. Yeah. Right. I don't want to deny that if you're orga- an orgasmic person, of course we want orgasms. Right. Right. So, so we could look at, okay, yeah, you can, you know, oral sex and hand sex and these things, but penis owners, they can have pleasure too, even if they don't have an erection show up. And so right. there's, you know, if you still have a prostate, there's, you know, prostate play. That's why I'm the butthole whisperer. I, I <laughs> never, you know, said no to a, you know, I never found a butthole I didn't like. Um, I wish I could have a prostate for 24 hours. I wish I could have a penis for 24 hours so I could have a prostate, right? Like these right. things, you know, these are like, I want to know what that feels like. Yeah. I, I have people, you know, and if you're not into it, it's okay. I think mm-hmm. that if you haven't started, I, I because I love prostate so much i get a lot of people in my life that go you clearly are big into prostate massages i've never had one before i want to would you be open to like giving me one and i'm like yeah but Mm -hmm. if they've never eroticized the experience a lot of times they just go meh like i don't really get it right neutral at best and i'm like Mm -hmm. cool you haven't found it a turn on yet like mm-hmm. if you were if you grew up playing with yourself right and exploring all of your parts mm-hmm. the idea of somebody else touching there probably going to be a huge turn on right right like, that might be kind of hot right yeah. right there's you know there's um throw in bdsm into the mix mm-hmm. right and now you're talking power dynamics and and maybe it's a you're not allowed to have an erection what does that sex look like what mm-hmm. happens if um, we just we just change things up from the fucking regular? I'm gonna touch your boobs, lick your pussy, stick my dick in. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens? This if is we, the way. This is the this only is, way, right? Which, to be fair, you know, PIV sex doesn't work for most vulva owners. Like, as far as orgasm goes, like seventy two percent can't have a an orgasm from penis penetration and sex alone, alone yeah. right? They need clitoral stimulation and then mm-hmm. it becomes much more accessible. Um, there's just, there's so many ways to have sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why are we limiting ourselves? And I think the, the part that, you know, I think doesn't, and I, I'm talk about beating dead horses. Um, we are, we are starting, I am starting the soft cock week podcast this year. This is your number two. This is where I've decided to throw my energy. We are having a a new um, interview come out every day during that week. And I don't know if there's one. what week is it? It's November November. 5th to 11th? Yep. So we start on Sunday and on Saturday. It's a weird week, but that's how I did it. Um, (laughs) And and we don't have a lot of events. We have like a soft cock 
um, soft opener or soft launch. I don't remember what we called it. Um, anyways, <laughs> that starts on Sunday. The puns. The yeah. Oh and goodness. that's like a, it's like a town hall. People are invited to come talk. It's not recorded. So everybody's privacy is, is honored. Um, but it's a place just to, we have some facilitators that are going to facilitate conversation, just a place, a lot of grief shows up there, you know, the morning of like penis changes, body changes. Um, right. But also just like normalizing um, that this is something that happens to a lot of people. This is not just you. Right. right? And we need to like quit making it this secret where we don't right. get support. Um, and then we end the week with bringing some of those collaborators back to do kind of a live podcast where we kind of all geek out together about the week and what we've noticed and Last year, it was like two hours of just sex geekiness that was so lovely. And we let people join in like through the chat mm-hmm. and, um, and and we'll do that again. And, and the rest of the energy is really for me going into this podcast. But there is not an episode where I don't think I mention responsive desire. Okay. <laughs> I wait like, for the response. As wait. in like... Um, spontaneous desire versus responsive desire. Emily Nagoski, come as you are. Mm -hmm. Some of us don't get hit with a lightning bolt of desire to have sex, right? Mm -hmm. And and in that book, I think it really focuses on the female experience. Mm -hmm. But this is a universal experience. This is not a men have spontaneous, women have responsive, and wherever you fall in the gender spectrum, um, wherever that identifies for you, it's not gendered. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying real hard to do that, you know, reparative sex education Mm -hmm. of, yeah, you had this erection that showed up for you so consistently. And that was your antenna. We talk about on one of the episodes that your penis is like your antenna. And this was the thing that told you it was time to have sex right? It's mm-hmm. time to masturbate. It was time to ejaculate. It was, you know, like it was the order of operations was like, oh, my dick shows up and I need to do something with it. Right. What if your dick stops showing up consistently? Right. Does that mean mm-hmm. you don't have sex anymore? And in, in, in what I'm hearing, and I'm talking to Joe Court later on today, and we're going to certainly talk about this. Um, he had Barry McCarthy, who is a really well, well-known therapist who does, um, has a quite a few books out, but two mm-hmm. of the books that I reference of his really regularly. And if you don't have these two books, Jenny, I would really recommend it, but okay. um, they are God, the name of his not coming to me. Hold that thought for just a second. Cause I have them right here. Okay. Coping with premature ejaculation and mm-hmm. coping with erectile dysfunction. Okay. They are books where you go through, you take some quizzes to figure out if this is a medical issue. Is this a psychosocial issue? Like what's happening, right? And then it gives you a step-by-step plan with your partner to start to work on these issues, right? Okay. Gold? Kendra Holliday, one of our colleagues, Turn me on to these books and, and yes, they're like the mm-hmm. Bibles of a lot of my work. So Barry was on um, Joe Court's podcast and he said that in a lot of heterosexual relationships, it's the men that stop pursuing sex because they have unreliable erections. 
So they just shut it all down. They don't want to even try if heaven forbid Mm -hmm. they don't get an erection and they don't know about responsive desire. I have responsive desire. I have to become aroused before I have a desire for sex. Right. Well, I think that might be very common. It is, but we don't talk about it. Okay. So if I'm not aroused and I'm not thinking about sex, right? Like I'm not, there's nothing in my body saying, I want to fuck right now. Mm -hmm. I know this about myself that I have to get to arousal first. So Mm -hmm. how do I do that? We have to create these owner manuals for ourselves of what, how does this engine work? Mm -hmm. Right. I know for myself, one of, we have to figure out what are our brakes and accelerators, the dual control response model, right? Like Mm -hmm. I know that one of my brakes that really turns me off is expectations. All right. That's not just expectation from my partner, but internal expectations. Right. If you tell me schedule sex, nope. <laughs> you can schedule time with me to connect. Right. Mm-hmm. You put and an expectation that we're going to have sex. Nope. No. Can't do it. So for me, it's like um, we're going to schedule time to connect. That's going to be... Mm-hmm. Probably some vulnerable conversations, some cuddling, some nudity, some touch. Again, what would feel good to you right now? Oh, could you just whisper light touches across my mm-hmm. back? Oh, that turns my skin on, right? And mm-hmm. then I start to become aroused and then sexual desire shows up for me. Mm-hmm. You got to teach people to do this. Right. Right. And so that's a big um, message this year that I will probably die it'll probably be on my tombstone (laughs) something about you're not broken you just have responsive desire right yeah and i feel like so especially for you know penis havers versus you know vulva vagina clitoris havers that expectation of this works this way this gets Mm -hmm. hard by itself i don't have control over that most of the time and then I do something about it that mm-hmm. starts like when they go through puberty and then yep. it's ingrained in there for what 12 15 years before your brain's even developed and <laughs> then it starts to fail you and you're mm-hmm. like what the fuck yeah I don't even know what to do here like I didn't have to turn this on I didn't have yeah. to do that yeah and You can have desire and not have a hard dick and you can still have sex and you can still have pleasure and you can still have first sentence again. You can have (laughs) what you can have desire. What you can have desire and not have a hard dick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the partners need to hear that too. Mm -hmm. I really do. Cause I think that those guys are, it's not all in their head and it's not like a, a thing that they're just piling the shame and guilt on. Like, I feel like that is something that is whether or not it's being said out loud, there are, there are groans or sighs or why can't you do this? Why aren't, why aren't you into me? You know, those questions that are even just energetically. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that's what my favorite, one of my favorite compliments from a client was like how much my enthusiasm for playing with a soft penis changed mm-hmm. how he viewed his soft penis. 
Mm-hmm. Like they're fun. They're mm-hmm. cute. They're soft. <laughs> they're cute. The, the velvety sensation. Mm. I do think they're cute. I think I honestly I think a soft penis is way cuter than or a Right, maybe it's more the, attractive. Maybe it's the word cute. I yeah. find them. I'm more drawn mm-hmm. to a soft penis to touch it, right, and like love it, right. than I am a, a hard penis. Is I mean, they're they're useful. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, some of them are attractive. I I find myself a little like, I don't know. I haven't fallen in love with penises as much of, as I've fallen in love with vulvas. Like I've really found the love for like yeah. how different they are and. Mm-hmm. And how I think I just feel like they've been, they've been really treated poorly by society, and and I think mm-hmm. penises have too. Like if we could have an expanded week, and I'm not going to take this on, but an expanded week of just for penis love, whether you've got a, mm-hmm. a smaller penis or like the, the 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 marginalized penis communities, right? The ones that are smaller, the ones that are not circumcised, like the ones that just get treated differently. Like a grower, not a shower, who has, a, mm-hmm. you know, a soft cock, probably is like way more self-conscious than someone who like it doesn't change very much in size from flaccid yeah. to erect, you know, like. The- <laughs> we could go on and on. It's and so hard. I know. It's so hard. Have like some penis appreciation um, episodes at some point because. um even I've had some of the best sex I've ever had was with a micro penis. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, it wasn't penetrative sex because I'm, you know, my body size, that just doesn't really work very well. Mm-hmm. But, oh, did that man have hand skills like mm-hmm. nobody's business and was blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I think it's about finding um, compatibility and yeah. showing up enthusiastically and present and just like worshiping each other like that's what i think sex should be just the spiritual worship of whatever feels good in the, in the moment and, and understanding yeah. that sex does not have to mean penis and vagina sex yeah. yeah yeah expanding that definition which you are doing you are totally doing with having this soft cock yeah. week and you're and you're challenging that you know myth that only hard cocks are good cocks yeah. So you can yeah. learn more at softcockweek.com. And we're going to do live stuff, you know, the week of, of November 5th through 11th, but the resources are there year round. So man, no matter when you're hearing this episode, you can head over there. And in the last little thing I want to throw in is we have softcock love notes that you can leave anonymously. I saw that. I saw it on the site. Yeah. yeah. Is that and for so anyone? Anybody can fill it out. Okay. Yeah. And I, right. I have some waiting in my inbox. I haven't been great at keeping up on it over the year, but we're going to get all those caught up. And um, all the all the love goes to the to the soft cock owners that week. And mm-hmm. mm, it's been good to be here. Yay! So wonderful, Thanks Michelle. I hope you come back. Um, I am going to put all of your information in the show notes so that people can have an easy way to click and find you. Um, mm-hmm. And I just hope you have. A wonderful week and then you have a wonderful soft cock week thank you and thanks for being just a wonderful colleague and i'm i'm Ooh. glad how much overlap we get to share in our in our professional worlds and hell yeah blessings to you yeah all right much love i'm gonna let you, you go out of here <laughs> 
Thank you for tuning in to Storytime with the Intimacy Ally. We hope you learned a bit more about putting the fire back in your romantic relationships, exploring communication and emotional readiness in all relationships, and how to expand your definition of intimacy so you can reach your relationship goals. Go to theintimacyally.com to subscribe and never miss an episode. Follow the links in the show notes to social media and events. Till next time, keep on learning, growing, and thinking. Storytime with the Intimacy Ally podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as health or mental health advice. 